0: Good morning, church. It's good to be with you. Thank you for tuning back in. If you would turn in the Bible to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We hope everybody's doing well. Hope you're staying safe, staying in, staying healthy, taking care of yourselves, and yet at the same time, still looking to Christ and thinking about his church and what it means to be a believer and in the body. And I hope that this Sunday morning you are thrilled and ready. Uh, that we can still at least do church this way. I hope you're ready for the Word of God to speak to you and to have your heart and mind uh, strengthened by faith through what God's Word says. You know, one of the things that we have to learn as a church is not all sermons are to be the same. We don't want the preacher or the sermon to drive what the Word of God says. That's bad. We want the Word of God to drive where we're going. And so, Hopefully, all of our sermons here are not the same. Hopefully, at times, they're different. Sometimes they're shorter. Sometimes they're longer. Sometimes they've got points. Sometimes they don't. It depends on what the Word of God is doing. Sometimes they are a little bit more lighthearted, and sometimes they're a little more intense, depending on where the Word of God is and what it's saying to us. And this morning is one of those. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9 in Philippians chapter 4. And today's sermon is all about the way you think. This sermon is to be a message from God, and it is to be a challenge to us. We've got to be careful with where we let our minds go. We've got to be careful with what we focus on, what we let come into our thoughts. We've got to be careful. I'm going to ask ourselves this morning, what do we think about? As I am uh, getting older, it's, it's fascinating how much you change over the years. And one of the things that, is, that has been happening to me and is still happening to me is I find myself almost daily thinking back to my dad. And I, and I mean that, almost daily, thinking back to my dad. What would my dad do? What would he say about this? What would he be thinking? How would he handle this situation? And, and, and I really feel that. And and and, and I. I find myself thinking not so much what would he do here, but what would he think about this? I I, I know enough to know that I'm not him. I shouldn't compare myself to him. In all honesty, I could never be the man that he is in so many ways. And so I'm not trying to compare myself to him, but I do find myself so influenced daily by what he thinks. What would he think in this situation? What would he be thinking about as we try to handle this? And I'll tell you one story. I remember being a kid. I was a, I was a young adult, maybe in college, somewhere around there. And I remember going, going to the mall, going to the store, and there was something I was looking at and something I was thinking about getting. And I tried to get, you know, when you're young and you look up to your dad, you're always trying to enter into these conversations that your dad is no in, your dad has no interest in. That happens a lot. And you try to like make the conversation sound appealing to him, but he's not interested. And I was talking to him about buying something at the mall, and I remember him saying something like this. I can't remember the last time I went to the mall. You know, when you work and you come home after work and take care of your chores, you don't really have a lot of time to go to the mall and spend money on things like that. And at the time, I thought, that's weak but now at this stage of life, that hits home. I find myself influenced by the way he thinks. When we come to the Bible this morning, we are to find ourselves considering how do we think? Perhaps you're familiar with that familiar phrase, an idle mind is the devil's playground. You've heard that before, right? An idle mind is the devil's playground. Mm The devil knows how to go to work with distractions, with depression, with negativity, with um, division, with bad thoughts when you are not focused on the right things. And so the Bible speaks to us today about that. Read with me, if you will, Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine. Finally, brothers, This morning, we have two points, two points. Number one, think about these things. That's in verse eight. Number two, practice these things. That is in verse nine. We're gonna see how Paul writing to the church in Philippi just flows naturally that what you think about should influence what you do, and we find this to be very true. What you think about, what dominates your mind, what you are focused on affects, influences what you do, what you practice, how you live, and that's where we're going today. Verse 8 begins, though, with the word finally, and you got to be careful here because some people want to say that this means he's wrapping up the book, and although we know that to be true because there are only four chapters and we're almost to the end, that's not what finally is there for. If you look at chapter 3, verse 1, it also begins with finally. Right? Paul is talking and more things are coming to mind, or he's writing, more things are coming to mind, and so he's explaining himself. At verse 8 of chapter 4, when he says, finally, it's like the last emphasis on these imperatives. Remember I said that over the last couple weeks. Chapter four begins with stand firm thus in the Lord. Then he gets into uh, unity, not not that there wouldn't be division. He gets into rejoicing in the Lord. He gets into worry and anxiety. He gets into prayer and thanksgiving, and he gets into the peace of God and all of that. And now here he is finally saying, here's what you need to do. Control what you think about, and that will control how you live, what you do, what you practice. So that finally is just pointing us to his emphasis here at this final bit of this beginning section of chapter four. So number one, think about these things. When he says that, he follows it up with eight words that we should be thinking about, eight ideas, eight concepts, That we should be thinking about. Now, let me show you how this works. The passage began just a few sentences before with this discussion on worry and anxiety. And as we said last week, what he wants believers to do is turn to God in prayer. You have this three, these three words that were loaded there, prayer, supplication, request, make your request known to God. And from there, with a thankful heart that is constantly, continually turning to God in prayer, he says, then you will begin to experience the peace of God. He says in verse seven, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. So what happens to the anxious, worrying believer, they turn to God, they take everything to God in prayer, and while they're doing that, the power of God, which surpasses understanding, which is supernatural, the Holy Spirit begins to create peace inside of them. He does that, and that peace guards the heart, it guards the mind. And so, while God is doing this supernatural work inside of believers, guarding them, protecting them from negativity, uh, um, um, uh, guarding and protecting them from bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, evil thoughts, being while their hearts and minds are being guarded, it's also supplying how they should think. So, if the peace of God is inside of us protecting us, what should we do then? And that's where he goes now. He gives us eight words that we are to think about one commentator walter hansen says as a result of god's peace guarding the hearts and minds of believers their minds focus on all that is excellent and praise worthy in this list in verse 8 In verse 8, we have eight, eight, eight terms. We have eight virtues. The first six are adjectives. The final two are nouns. Six adjectives, two nouns, eight virtues that we are to think about. And this is why I said at the beginning that this sermon would be a little bit different because in our two points today, our first point has eight points, all right? So here we go. Buckle up. Number one, whatever is true. We are to think about things that are true. Look there in the Bible. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, think about that. Whatever is true. Each term we get to, I want to say some synonyms, some words that remind you of things that are true, and a couple antonyms, some things that it's not, to frame this a little bit. Believers, people that are focused on God, being guarded by the peace of God, are to think about things that are true. What is true? Conforming to reality, conforming to fact, things that are accurate. Things that are authentic. Things that are genuine. We are to think about those. We are not to think about things that are false. We're not to think about things that are fake. We're not to think about things that are inaccurate. We love the truth. As Hansen goes on, he says, thinking about what is true requires discernment to see the difference between what is true and what is false. In other words, to be a thinker is to be somebody who cares, to be somebody who desires to know what is true. You can't just think about what's true. You have to desire to know what's true. And in thinking about what is true as opposed to what is not true, you find yourself moving towards thoughts on what is true. Now is a good time for me to remind you that Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. In Arthur Holmes's book, All Truth is God's Truth, he says this, The early church claimed that all truth is God's truth wherever it be found. Listen to this. If it is true, if it is the truth then that should lead us to God. We cannot get at truth. We cannot actually have a conversation about what is true and right and good ultimately without considering God. This is a flaw, this is a fallacy that we have in people in the world who think they are good, who think they understand some truth, who think they are truthful, who do not know or believe in God. It's inconsistent. Let's think about this. I am seeing more and more people who are now thanking the universe for whatever stage they are in life, whatever goodness they're experiencing, wherever they're at. It's, it's more and more common for you to hear somebody to say, I just want to thank the universe for this birthday that I just had. I don't want to thank the universe for this help that I've got. And they are giving thanks to the universe. I know that there are many of you out there right now who aren't on social media, and you're thinking, what in the world are you talking about? I have not heard anybody say that. But there are many people right now listening who think yes that is that is is very common i'm hearing more and more people say that listen when you are trying to thank the universe you are attempting to be thankful but you know that it is not the same as being thankful for you to be thankful in your heart means for you to have some gratitude. And in order to be able to feel gratitude at its fullness, you want to let the person know that you're indebted to that you are thankful for them. There is a lacking or a, or a limit to our experiencing thankfulness if we're not able to let the person know that we are thankful to that we are thankful That is what happens when the believer becomes somebody who is thankful to God. God, thank you. That is why so often in our prayers, almost redundant, almost super repetitive, that we are thanking God for so many things. God, thank you for another day. Thank you for this help. Thank you for this food. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are saying to God because we feel thankful to God. Trying to thank the universe is an attempt at experiencing gratitude, but it doesn't get there. Let's take it a step further. Wanting to be thankful is not the same thing as being thankful, just in the same way that hoping something is true isn't the same as knowing the truth. And the Bible here calls us to think about what is true. Do you guard yourself from lies? If somebody is a liar, do you listen to them too much? If somebody is an embellisher, an exaggerator, are you distracted by them? Are you swayed by what they say? Do you listen to gossip and slander? Do you consider the source when they're telling you something that you should not believe? Have you learned to limit how much bad stuff comes into you? Are you believing, verse 7, that God in his peace through your prayers, your commitment to praying is guarding you from falsehood and so you are focused on true? Listen, church. God tells us to think about what is true. That's number one. Number two, he tells us to think about whatever is honorable. What a good word. You know, one of the things I like to point out regularly is that God gave us the Ten Commandments. It's pretty funny that God gives us this huge book, but we have Ten Commandments in it, long book. God creates an entire world, an an entire universe, and in God's universe, he gives us ten rules. Now, there are others, but it's shaped by these ten rules. And in these Ten Commandments, one of them says honor. Not all of them are do not, do not, do not. One of them says, honor your father and mother. Honor is a good word. And the Bible here in Philippians 4 is telling us to think about that which is honorable. Whatever is honorable. Some translations use the word noble. Or what about the word honest? Upright, above reproach, dignity, distinction, ethical, respectable, This is not dishonorable. This is not ignoble. This is not vulgar. This is not wrong. This is not shameful. This is not disrespectful. We are not to think about those things or be overly focused on them. We are to think about honor. Think about this. I mentioned this last week with, with, with the gentleness word that we saw. In the pastorals, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. We hear that deacons are to be honorable. Women are to be honorable. Older men are to be honorable. They are to be noble. They are to be worthy of respect. They are to be above reproach. We find the Bible telling us time and time again that followers of Christ are to be living in a way that should be honored. We are to think about honorable things. When we start to think about that which is honorable, we really get at that which is uh, to be modeled after. When we start thinking about somebody that deserves honor, we find ourselves going we should want to be that as well. If you honor somebody for their achievements, then you recognize that they've done well. And so you want to show honor there. So now I think is a good time for us to get at our speech. Believers must care about how they talk. We must believe that the Bible says that God tames the tongue. It is a characteristic of an unbeliever that their mouth is out of control. Try as they might to control it, James 3 tells us that they cannot control it. It may not always be four-letter words. It could be bragging. It could be boasting. It could be depression. It could be negativity. They may always talk down. They may always talk up. But it's out of control. They cannot control their speech. Bad words fly out of their mouths and other things. The Bible teaches us that God can tame the tongue, and he does. And so we should want our speech to be something that is honorable. We should want our children to talk the way we talk. We should want our people in our lives to talk the way we talk. That would be an honor for somebody to speak the way we speak. we are to think about this, to think about whatever is honorable. And I know that in 2020, there are a lot of people saying, well, speech is speech, man. We got a lot bigger problems in the world. I realize that most people don't care about the way we speak. I know that. But I also know that they aren't focused on what we are. I also know that they are not considering how to honor God with their lips. It echoes in us, even as I make this point, time and time again in the prophets, time and time again in the gospels, where Jesus says, this people's speech does not honor me. We are to think about honoring God at all times. We are to say, does this honor God? Does my spending honor God? We are to think about that which is honorable. Number one, whatever's true. Number two, whatever's honorable. Number three, whatever is just. What a good word, a God word, a biblical word, guided by truth, reason, justice, fairness. Not inaccurate, not partial, not unfair, not wrong, not unfitting. You know, the more and more you live this life, The more and more you're going to come to a situation in life where it hurts you so bad, and you will have to say the words, That's not fair. We've all said that before. We've all observed it before. Happens in my home, it happens in our lives. And you know what? Anytime, at least in my little circle with my family, that we start having the discussion that that's not fair, I find myself going, well, guess what? Life's not fair. We are all familiar with things that are unjust. We have experienced things that are not right, unfair, wrong, unfitting, uh, partial, all of that. But I want to tell you here today that God is just he is completely fair you know it's pretty come pretty common these days for people to boast that only god can judge me you've heard that before it's a really popular tattoo actually i mean this with all seriousness he will he will judge you and you don't want him to Nobody wants God to be just with them and he will be. Let me remind you now that God being so true and faithful and just that so he would not have to judge you, he has already judged your sins in Christ. For when God punished Christ on the cross, we saw the holy, faithful, good, and true wrath judging his son, punishing his son, being absolutely fair and just to punish sin in Christ so that he would not in us. And so when we turn to him and cry out and we say, God, forgive me of my sins, he can forgive us and not judge us and still be fair because he was already fair in Christ. Amen. Praise God. I do want to point out that Philo, that, 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 that early philosopher during the, the, the time of Christ, said that just is the cardinal virtue, that it is the most important one. And that is one of the reasons why we must look to God to understand what fair is. Do not try to evaluate what is just or fair on your own. You're not a good judge, but God is. He is a true and faithful judge. He is just. Number three, just. Number four, whatever is pure. What a good word. Morally blameless, authentic, natural, real. The opposite of pure would be abnormal, cloudy, counterfeit, dirty, immodest. Pure is a good word. The word pure is found throughout the scriptures. And and you can even think right now of many of them. Let me share them with you. 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul would tell the young preacher, Keep yourself pure. Titus 2.5, younger women are to be self-controlled and pure. James 3.17, the wisdom that comes from above as first of all is pure. 1 John 3.3, to those who have hope in Christ's appearing, they should purify themselves just as he is pure. As J. Vernon McGee says, listen to this. For Paul, purity in all of life begins In the thought of life, in the thought life, think about what is pure. We must understand that in us, none of us are pure. We are all tainted by sin, we are all fallen. And so the idea of purity does not come naturally. We need Christ, we need God's redeeming, cleansing work to happen in us. Purity must be something then that we think about. Listen to Hebrews describing Jesus. Hebrews 7:26. Jesus is pure, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. It describes Jesus that way in Hebrews 7 because it's talking about how he had to be that in order to be the great high priest. Jesus is pure. The Bible tells us to think about things that are pure. May we not be thinking about dirty things. May we not like to find ourselves rolling around in the filth and mud. May it not be easy for us to find ourselves in conversations with people who know nothing of purity. May we be able to walk away from those, say, no thanks, I don't want to hear it. May we think about that which is pure. Number five, whatever is lovely. Lovely, this is interesting. This is the only place in the the New Testament where this word is used. This is the only place. This is getting at like what is beautiful, just what you look at and you see, hey, I like that. It's an interesting word. Causing pleasure or delight. Pleasing, agreeable, lovely, gracious. It's not disagreeable. It's not repulsive. It's not unpleasant. It's not drab. It's lovely. It's like you see something and you think, man, that's cool. That's beautiful. That's awesome. It's just something that catches your attention. My youngest, Liliana, recently had a birthday. And um, it stinks to have a birthday during the quarantine. It really does. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. You can't have anybody over. I mean, it's a bummer. And so uh, we tried to make it as nice as we could, and she wanted to have a pinata. And we always do a pinata in our family. And so we went out back, and it was just us. And I hung the pinata from the basketball goal, and and, and we're there. And, and and so Liliana gets to hitting and swinging at the pinata, and and my my wife asks her because you know the way pinatas work, they're stuffed with stuff. You got to hit it and bust it open and see what falls out, and everybody goes and grabs it, right? And my wife asked my five-year-old, "What do you think's inside?" She said, I hope a cell phone. Oh, we laughed about that. And that's one of those things where I just sat there going, That that's pretty cool. It wasn't a cell phone. She's not getting a cell phone. She's forever away from getting a cell phone. She's not even close to getting a cell phone. But it's pretty neat in her little mind that she wasn't thinking candy or bubble gum or something like that. She was thinking she hopes inside of there was a cell phone. It's one of those things. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? Just to peek inside of a little five-year-old's mind and what she's thinking about. This is the word we're here to think about things like that. We are to think about things that are sweet and pleasant and cute and and things that make us smile and things that make us uh, chuckle and things that make us happy and things that are good for us, to be honest, whatever is lovely. Number six, whatever is commendable, good report, admirable, praiseworthy, fair-spoken, fair-sounding, things that we would recommend, things that we would point people to. We are not to think about things that are bad, things that are unworthy, things that are blameworthy, things that are wrong, but things that are commendable. You know, time and again, I have people say, hey, I'm applying for a job, I'm applying for a school, can I put you down as a reference? And I, I, I like doing that, you know, I say, sure. But there have been a few times where I'd say, yeah, go ahead, but I'm going to tell them the truth. Yeah, go ahead, and I'm going to tell them the truth. If you want somebody to recommend you, then you ought to be living in a way that you can be recommended, The Bible says here that we're to think about things that are commendable. If you want somebody to say, hey, he's an honest man, guess what? Be honest. If you want somebody to say, hey, he's a hard worker, man, he will, he will work hard. Guess what? You have to work hard. And the Bible wants us to think about those things. We are to think about that which is commendable. So those are our first six adjectives. That which is, verse 8, that which is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And then we go to the two nouns and it ends verse 8. And it says, if there's any, any excellence or anything worthy of praise. Excellence and worthy of praise. Whatever it is out there that's really and truly good, whatever it is out there that is really worth our attention and our focus and our our, our affections, think about those sort of things. You ever found yourself wasting your time? You ever had your phone pop up and tell you how much screen time you've done this week and you thought, what? That's awful. I wish it didn't do that, Right? God is telling us here that we are to think about good things, excellent things, worthy things. When I was in college, I used to go to all sorts of college ministry. I used to love to do it. I was hoping that there was some sort of a Bible study get-together something every night as much as I could. And I used to go. And I remember being at uh, what we would call BSU, Baptist Student Union, back in the day. There were so many people there. It was cool. And I remember that they would sing this song. Perhaps you remember it. It's an old one, but perhaps you remember it. When I think about the Lord... How he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up, turned me around, how he set my feet on solid ground, it makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you are worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. That song embodies Philippians 4, 8, and 9. When I think about what Jesus has done for me in my life, when I think about my sins being forgiven, God receiving me based off of his love, not my performance, when I think about God being a patient, loving father to me, when I think about him being the God that loves me and is worthy of everything for our lives, it makes me want to love him back. And that is what this is saying. We should be those who are thinking about those things. We are to be. Listen to what Walter Hansen says as we get kind of towards the end of this. The command to think requires his readers to give careful thought to a matter to consider to ponder and let one's mind dwell on something. Paul is calling followers of Christ to be attentive, reflective, meditative thinkers. Developing, this is important for our church, developing a Christian mind and character requires a lifetime of discerning and disciplined thought about all the things that are excellent and praise worthy. Perhaps you are a Christian but you have yet to get your mind focused and thinking about the things God wants you to think about. Perhaps your very faith of loving and following Jesus is going against the grain because you have not put a control on what you think about. And so we hear Philippians 4, 8 telling us to think. As we finish up this first point, think about these things. I hope your mind has gone to where I'm about to go. Paul is telling the Philippians to think about Jesus. Listen to this Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the most honorable, Jesus is just. Jesus is pure, Jesus is lovely, Jesus is commendable, and you are to think about those things because we see them so good, so clearly in Jesus. It has been said, listen to this, that Philippians 4:8 is the briefest biography of Christ. One verse, eight virtues. That our Lord Jesus embodies. May we think about them. May we think about things that Jesus is like. Well, when we get to thinking about Jesus, we must be informed by the truth, or else we don't know what we're thinking. Surely there are people out there that have thoughts about Jesus, and they are not the right thoughts. Somebody's not taught them faithfully from the word. They don't know what real Christians are like. They've had bad examples or bad experiences. But we want to think about Jesus. And there is no better way for us to think about Jesus than to think about his work on the cross. Can I remind you that when Jesus stood or hung there on the cross, he had been nailed to the cross. They put a nail in here. They put a nail in there. They crossed his legs over, nailed him through there and he's hanging on the cross. We just came out of the Easter season and so we, we, we remember the sayings of Jesus on the cross and, and, and he said all those different things. He said, I thirst and he said, he said those different phrases but the one that we always think about is him saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus on the cross hanging in a crucifixion because they hated him. They had already beaten him. They wanted him to go away. They didn't want to deal with the thought of God. They, 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 they wanted to get rid of Jesus. And he's hanging on the cross. And as he's hanging on the cross, demonstrating love like we could never imagine, he says, Father, forgive them. Would you think about that? Would you think about that more often? Is it good for you to think about that? Are there days or weeks or months? Are there whole seasons of your life where you've not thought about Jesus and thought about who he is and how good he is and how true he is and how honest he is and how faithful he is and how gracious he is? Would you think about him at, if there is such a thing at the worst moment of his life? suffering under the crucifixion. He can hardly breathe. He is suffocating to death, literally. And as he is suffocating to death, he prays to his Father in heaven, Father, forgive them. And when he says, Father, forgive them, he certainly meant those that killed him. But he also meant me and you. Father, forgive them. Would you think more about the Father's love to forgive you? Would you think more about the Father's ability to forgive you? Would you think more about the Father giving his son to die in justice and fairness so that he could forgive you? And as you think about that, would it bring peace to you? Would it settle your worry and anxiety? Would it bring joy to you? Would it control your thoughts? Would it help? Would it save your soul? If you've not thought about that before, start thinking now. Let your mind go there. Run down that trail. Chase after him. Believe in Christ. If you will ask God right now to forgive you of your sins and believe in him, he will. He loves you. Think about that. Philippians 4.8 tells us that we are to think about these things. We are to think about those eight virtues. And in thinking about those eight virtues, we must think about Jesus for he embodies them. But then we move on to verse nine, our last verse here today, and it's where we see our second point, practice these things. Paul then goes from telling them to think about that to now about himself. Verse eight, we don't have anything really about Paul. Verse eight's to the church, and there's nothing there about Paul. Verse nine, Is about Paul and his influence and leadership and his shepherding pastoral heart, his missionary apostle heart for them. He says, four things, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, and what you have seen in me, practice these things. This is something similar to what he's done before. If you'll look back to chapter three, verse 17, he said, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I said it in that sermon and I'll say it again. God has designed the faith. God has designed church. God has designed Christianity to be one to where as we are following Christ, we are constantly learning from those who are ahead of us. Younger women learn from older women. Younger men learn from older women. The body learns from the body. Uh, Immature believers learn from mature believers. Those who've been Christians for a long time learn uh, are, are teaching those who are new Christians. That's the way God's designed it. We see him teaching this to the Philippians church. It's a beautiful thing. He points out these four different ways to observe, learn, receive, heard, and seen. This is the way Christianity works. We are to think about People that we know know God. We are to think about people that we know walk with God. We are to think about people who know how to think when it comes to their faith and Christianity. And so we are to observe them and then want to put it in practice. I'll never forget a time several years ago. I was hanging out with some guys and we we ended up in a position where uh, we... uh, we were hanging out, and somebody had brought to our attention that there was something that we needed to pray about. And it was a whole bunch of people, and not everybody that was in the in the room was a praying person. And so everybody said, "Hey, there's kind of an emergency going on. Could we pray?" And anybody that wanted to pray could pray. Well, we had a we had a professor from back in the day that would pray in class, and when he would end, when he would pray in class, he would always end the prayer with "Amen" and "Amen." And I've never done that before. That's not the way I pray. If you ever heard me pray before, it's just in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I only use one amen at the end of my prayers, typically, right? But I will never forget this professor who used to always say, amen, and amen. And I had a friend, and, and I don't even know if he was a believer, but we were in this room, and they had asked us to pray. And so we went around the room, and there's probably 15 people in there, and only about four or five prayed. But when it got to him, he prayed. Short little prayer, it was awesome. And when he got to the end, he said, amen. And amen. And it was awesome. And then it came to me and then I prayed. And the whole scene was over and we left the room and we were going out. And as we were talking, he said, did you hear how I ended my prayer? He said, you know where I got that? From Professor such and such. He had seen a man pray and it had influenced how he would pray. Church, what we should really be is a huge domino effect of what we have learned from those who were before us. We should be wanting to live our lives so that the person that's behind us has our eyes on us to be closer to God. We should be living in such a way that others can practice what they see in us. Practice these things. Philippians 4.8, think about these things. Philippians 4.9, practice these things when you think about the things of God and when you practice the ways of God look how it ends look at how verse 9 ends and the God of peace will be with you now Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing here in verse 7 he said the peace of God will guard your hearts but in verse 9 it's now the God of peace so Paul has two phrases here that are meant to strengthen the believer. There's the God of peace and there's the peace of God. The peace of God comes when we pray with thankfulness. It removes our worry and anxiety and God gives us that peace. But here we are now with a life of thinking about these things and a life of practicing these things and we have the God of peace with us. When you walk with God and you think about God and you live for God and you try to obey God and you live in light of the forgiveness that God gives, you now have God, the God of peace. What a neat word play he does there. Peace of God, verse seven, God of peace in verse nine. So in summary, <clears throat> think about these things, practice these things, but notice this. If we move from verse four all the way to verse nine, here's what we get. Praying to God with, thanks, with thankfulness gives us the peace of God guarding our hearts and minds and the peace of God guarding us influences what we think about. And as we are influenced by what we think about, as our thoughts begin to change, then we see our anxiety and our worry go away. As we are think, as what we think about influences what we do, then what we think and what we practice grows our closeness to God, the God of peace. Paul is writing to a church A church made up of sinners like us. A church made up of people that desperately need God. And he's writing to a church. And they have struggles just like the world does today. And he wants them to have the peace of God. And he wants them to know the God of peace. And so he walks them through with these imperatives here in chapter 4. Pray to God. Peace of God. Guarding you the way you think. The way you think influences what you do. And when you are thinking and doing the way God wants you to, you find yourself experiencing the peace of God. Church, may God use his word to build us May we learn to think about Jesus and the things that he embodies. May we learn to put into practice the ways of God and may we experience his peace. Father in heaven, we thank you for Philippians. We thank you for your word and the power of it. God, we thank you for this list. We thank you for this list of these eight words, these eight virtues. God, I pray that those things would be in our lives. I pray that we'd be a church that that represents those things. Lord, I pray that we would know Christ and we would be able to see him on the cross. We would think about him on the cross and we would know that was for us. Father, help our church, help our lives to be ones where we are a good example for others. Father, may you use your word to draw people to Jesus. God, we love you and thank you for this good time here together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.